0: Welcome to Making Metric Easy, which will be known as Cannabis Roundup from here on out, so that we can talk to a lot of different kinds of industry vendors and licensees than we were able to before. It's still presented by Outlaw Technology, and I'm Hans Dietrich, one of your
1: hosts. And I'm still Brie Oaxaca, and each week we are going to be speaking with the companies in the trenches of the cannabis industry.
0: Our guests today are Dave Trailer and Matt Daugherty of Golden Eagle Partners, a leading investment bank for the global cannabis industry, the first investment bank in the United States for the cannabis industry. Hey, guys, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Hans. Thanks, Hans. We also have... We love having you guys. Hans and Bree, yeah. We love having you guys here. It's always fun hanging out with you guys. We also have Dave Eagleson, CEO of Outlaw with us today. Hey, Dave. Hey, how's I doing? We're going to have to work hard today to keep the two Dave's straight. Dave and Matt, we always like to learn a little bit about you and tell our our listeners about you. How did you get involved in the weed industry? How long have you been in it? What's your background? Basically, how did you get started in weed to begin with?
2: Well, thanks. I'll, I'll kick that off and then kick it over to Matt, but thanks you guys uh, for having us on, and thanks everybody for listening. But uh, So, Gold Eagle Partners, as we mentioned, started in, uh, over 10 years ago in 2013. We are the first investment bank in the U.S. to do cannabis. We also have been doing it internationally for over eight years. So, we've had clients on six of the seven, cannabis clients with operations on six of the seven continents, and we've done... 27, 28 deals in the space. Currently, actually, we have one client in Australia, one client in Germany, a client in uh, Canada, and then a couple of clients here in the U.S. As far as uh, I can kick it over the map, as far as myself getting into cannabis, it kind of stems from my uh, background in biotech. I got into biotech late '80s. Worked for fifteen years in operational roles and leading biotech companies in Boulder, Berlin, Germany, and Silicon Valley, and then. Got into investment banking Hans and Bree in two thousand five in San Francisco and came back to Colorado in two thousand nine uh, to lead the life science group a group called Headwaters and then found Gold Legal Partners in twenty twelve. And then it's, you know, Colorado Washington kicked things off in November twenty twelve with the voters okay to legal adult use in those respective states. And I was back here in Colorado and and I essentially looked at it. Cannabis, and you know, cannabis is highly regulated, it's a biological supply chain and when you get
3: down to it it's a drug and to me that was like well this is biotech so i was first exposed to it i helped the group here in colorado do a warehouse into a grow and they and that's that was my first exposure into it so and i sort of had to look back since then so
0: and what about your guys personal relationship to the plants i mean you guys are investment bankers yeah but we, you know a lot of our listeners they're they're right there in the trenches and most of our guests, they all have some kind of personal relationship with the plant, which is which kind of helped draw them to the industry. Some got became came to love the plant after they became involved with the industry. What's your experience been? For me, it's it's been sort of
3: it's it's always been around. I'm Native American in the tribe that that I'm actually from. That one of the tribes actually is. people of the shirt and that's actually from the hemp plant so i think it's always been sort of acknowledged in in the groups that i know that they you know that it's it's an active spiritual been a lifelong sort of journey of 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 the learning and growing of of what what my people have used the plant for and and sort of watching others sort of grab onto it right so yeah, and the other thing, odds is we
2: always I mean, I've I've just been lucky to be where we're at on a number of accounts. But I mean, for example, uh, as you may know, lacrosse players are known for partaking in <laughs> that's
0: right. You are a yeah, lacrosse player.
2: <laughs> and I studied and I still am. And yeah, that was that was part of it. And I also was an athlete for Athletes for Care, which was a really cool uh group, but I don't know if they're as active as they used to be. But uh yeah, so that was kind of a natural thing. And then you have the uh the biotech aspect. But the one thing too, I think it's important to mention, Hans and Bree, is that you you do come across people in Canada, especially like on the finance side. And I even ran, you know, we were in uh, San Francisco a couple weeks ago at the JP Morgan conference. this you know, the largest conference every year in healthcare. And we went for the first time since 2015. I met with a a guy that's one of the leading investors in the space. And he's like, oh yeah, I've never partaken and I don't really, you know, but I'm in it for the money. And I just, you can't believe that people can be as successful as Matt and myself when you you have that perspective. I mean, one of the things that's the coolest thing that we do is when we come across somebody that's got a problem, whether it's a pain or a sleep issue or something, and and you give them a number of different preparations, cannabis-based preparations, whether it's terpenes or cannabinoids or what, what have you, and, and it solves their problem.
0: I mean, there's nothing cooler than that. It really is a miracle drug. Rhea, I know you've got a question.
1: Yeah. You know, mentioning more the corporate side of of cannabis, have you guys noticed a shift as, you know, um, as, you know, our medical and recreational markets have opened up in multiple states? Have you guys noticed that shift on the corporate side of companies being more cannabis friendly? You know, one of the big pieces of feedback we hear from a lot of our customers is, you know, how did they get funding? How do they, you know, from getting funding to, you know, securing backers to all the way down to, you know... The folks we're working with who are managing day-to-day the plants, they go to apply for mortgages, and they don't get uh, loans because they work for a cannabis company.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, it's actually, we just talked to somebody this morning that's uh, been in the industry for a long time, and she thinks it's getting harder. She was had this uh, phone service for their business, and the phone service just realized they're in cannabis and pulled away the service. And she's like, we're not even plant-touching. So, but on the other hand, you do have groups like First Citizens Bank, which you know are, have been in it for some time and getting in it more uh, deeply. But then I, I think the other thing, I'll have one other comment. I'll kick it over to Matt. But you know, we are trying to also change the nomenclature in this industry. We don't like the fact. So I'm a biochemist by background, and I don't like the fact that people call marijuana cannabis or cannabis marijuana. That's actually pretty incorrect. Essentially, cannabis is the genus right? So it covers everything. So we look at it as really hemp is THC minus and marijuana is THC plus. That's what we'd like to call it. THC THC minus. Yeah. And so when you're really asking, we'd like to cover like the whole spectrum. So when you're talking about THC plus or Delta 9, yeah, that's always been a problem in the US. THC minus has not been as much of a problem. And that's been a, a way for a lot of these groups like First Citizens Bank to get in to the cannabis side without jumping into like the Delta 9 and all the regulatory mess that that entails overall it's getting uh, a little easier in the u.s and then europe and at other places though you know it's just everywhere you guys it's over
3: regulated i i still think there's this the stigmas out there right and people don't either admit to admit to it or they just don't talk about it right i think corporate america has gone to the ladder it's sort of like the military with the don't say don't attitude of it so
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the interesting thing about cannabis is always going to be the same is the fact that the market still sees the U.S. market that's specifically as being quote-unquote illegal. So as long as that specter hangs over things, look, we've all seen these ups and downs even on the uh, stock pricing where investors felt like, hey, 280E is going to come through, safe banking is going to come through, they're going to reschedule, you know, all these like watershed events that haven't taken place. I think there's also that pent-up demand for that, Right. I think the broader market wants to play, but I think they're yet to play. I mean, what do you guys think? What do you think, David?
2: Well, I think one thing you guys, we saw in JP Morgan was really interesting, kind of getting back to our breeze question. Uh, and that's why we went, you know, again, we hadn't been since 2015 and that's because that's really the last biotech company that we worked with. But we never went because there was really no need since we were entrenched in cannabis. But uh, we had one client, as we mentioned, from Australia that was there, they're doing uh CBD for insomnia and trying to run a pivotal trial down under, and then we had a client that's actually a psychedelic client out of uh, Canada in San Francisco too. And it was interesting. We had a meeting with abby We had a meeting with Dr. Reddy's Labs out of India. You know, we've recently talked to Merck. We've talked to Halion, which is a uh, the generics offshoot of GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. And certainly, we've been connecting with you know Philip Morris PMI and a number of groups. So I think everybody that's listening would agree that, yeah, we're starting to see see more of that. But back to Matt's point, there still is a stigma and there's and also there's a lot of misinformation out there. That's always been a problem to overcome
0: in the sector. Absolutely. And I think that certain parts of of society have become more accepting of cannabis use, whether it be THC plus or THC minus, THC minus is everywhere then you've got a lot of the communications companies like you were saying, I also heard of another major telephone company that just got rid of their subscriber or cell phone subscribers because they were using text messages to to talk about their business which was you know in the cannabis field um, and we all we've all seen this in social media accounts where you just get blocked or they you have to take down your account so it's 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 insane but we're we're working through that what kind of companies you mentioned you know you're global what stage companies do you typically deal with
3: i think it's actually across the board right i think we i mean i think we've stayed away from early stage stuff at least on the cultivation and side of things just because if you're you know new with a license and trying to raise money that that just became super difficult yeah i think the spectrum is for us it's 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 more about the people and the opportunity than it is about know, the stage of where they're at.
2: I think the one thing that I'm getting back to the number of the questions before too is the current environment is, is brutal. Well, we can't. We were in We were a sponsor for Benzinga Chicago a couple months ago, and and the funny thing is we have a lot of sayings, and one of them is you know I used to work in Silicon Valley, and one of the things they say in Silicon Valley is hope is not a strategy, but in cannabis it is. I mean, seriously, everybody, you know. Everybody's hoping that safer was going to go through, and we're in Chicago, and people are talking about that because that was there's the past committee, and and then there's all this stuff about people talking about rescheduling, and certainly we put some a number three things out late last year on LinkedIn about scheduling. So, but the good the 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 good and bad about this is that it's tough to get deals done these days, and that's why most of our competition has jumped out of cannabis, whether it's cannabis Gerald or Roth or Stiefel or Cowan for various different reasons, Cowan, because they're bought by TD out of Canada, right? And it's still nationally legal, but,
4: uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough environment for sure. So what's your, with your take, you, you touched on a couple key points, uh, you know, be it the safe banking and other things. What's your thoughts? I mean, I know it's a crystal ball question. Everyone has the same, what do you think is going to happen? We've got an election year. There's a lot going on in 2024. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I'm curious if you, you guys have thoughts, you know, from your global perspective.
3: I think you're better off not not depending on planning your business strategy on what what might or might not happen with with rescheduling or descheduling um and just plan, you know, plan your business around the current environment and hope, you know, not hope, but you know not anticipate that you're going to get help from an outside source. So that's what we told our clients and what what you know, when people come to us and they ask you know, ask that question, it's you can't really depend on somebody else to, to make your business profitable or, you know, get to where it want to be. Right. So.
4: Yeah. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. Look, I think a lot of people have hopes and wishes and dreams like we all do, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Look, you've got to build a sound business on today's market, today's metrics, today's playing field. Right. And if you can and survive it, you're going to be even that much better. So, I mean, I think those that are figuring it out, look, the MSOs are, you know, scaling back to some extent. When I say some extent, they're wild spending spree appears to be slowing down. I think they're trying to pick and choose the markets and get out of those that are not not shouldn't they shouldn't be in. So it's interesting how this industry is settling. I mean, you guys probably have an interesting viewpoint because you're watching at it you know as an investor. Well I mean the
2: one thing Dave that everybody listening out there can appreciate just this industry is brutal. I mean it's there's not a harder industry out there. I mean like for example, let's take the TAC plus side, you know, you have these MSOs. You have 280E, which just cuts margins, you know, the tax, supply tax rate so much higher than a normal business. And then you have to, the, the lack of economies of scale because you have to replicate each kind of business or operation in each state you go. Can't have like an Amazon spoke model, right? There's just whole, all kinds of things. And then you have the stigma and the Safe Banking Act and all that stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get through. So I think I appreciate the fact that, yeah, it would be nice to roll back 280E. But, you know, you also see a lot of the same stuff internationally where it's just hard to uh, to compete as a normal business. But I think the one thing, too, and add to the thing with the THC Plus, you have the, the illicit market or the unregulated market, however you want to call it. I mean, the longer we have lack of regulation and strong leadership from the U.S. government to roll these things back and take a lot of these hurdles out of the way, the black market's, I think, going to continue to take share market share, which
0: doesn't bode well, man, right? It's so it doesn't in fact you know we talked. You, you mentioned earlier that it want it's overregulated but then at the same time they're not enforcing in certain certain regions of certain states it's the the enforcement's just not there and that black market is hurting the licensees who are trying to do everything by the book I think this all goes back to also when we all first met we met at a conference in Canada in Toronto and one of the things that, Dave, our Dave, Dave Eagleson and I came out of there with was, you have to survive. With COVID? Thrive, well, yeah. <laughs> no
4: one didn't have COVID, promise. damn it.
0: <laughs> Man, what testing they had in place, <laughs> wow.
2: Well, remember that when we were up there yeah, I had to go to like the pharmacy or the local place and take a test and hoping that you're gonna get a negative or you're gonna be in
0: Toronto for the next two weeks? You're stuck for exactly. two weeks at a hotel there, yeah, exactly. We were, we all had our fingers crossed. But no, the phrase that we came out of there with was, everybody just needs to survive to thrive until these changes come about that the industry has been waiting for for so long. And I think the only reason so many places are still around is because of the dedication of the people in it to the industry and to the culture, a lot of them to the culture.
2: Well, the Hans, one thing, it's funny you mentioned that because we have the same Uh, It's a little different, but we've been, you know, working in this industry for over 10 years, and when we first got into it, it was crazy because the cost of capital was, you know, and I just pulled up this company. I remember it was a public company here in Colorado, and they had a 40% interest rate on one of their, I think it was a convertible note. Our motto has always been to find capital where cannabis operators writ large, whether it's TSC plus or TSC minus, can not only survive, but thrive, Right. And it's hard to survive and thrive when you have forty percent interest rate, and obviously, they'll oh, yeah. come down. But
3: I think one of the mottos we've always had is, you know, to find really good capital for really good operators, and that's not easy. Back when we started, and it's not any easier today. So,
4: yeah, one thing that was interesting that uh, you know, I just want to get your guys' take on. We, we talked about Toronto, so. Canada, obviously a country that legalized very quickly across their country. So I think people have this false hope that, you know, the U.S. legalization, you know, is going to be this watershed event. Maybe. (laughs) I'm not quite so sure myself. Um, I think it's going to have ramifications depending on how, if it's done correctly or, or not. But I'm curious with Canada, what was your take there? I mean, I know, you know, you had these massive groups, you had big money going into it. You had the you know the the canopies and and the the, the all those groups totally. up there yeah and but you know they kind of hit the wall what was your take from that i mean as far as like stepping back from it and looking at what Canada did right and wrong too much exuberance on what what was the
3: ex you know what was going to happen with that i think they all thought they were going to be able to export you know because they were you know it's nationally legal and i think you know they overbuilt cultivation Thinking that you know they it was going to be a godsend for for these companies and it just didn't work out that way right and then they also sort of in how their own inside the border market was work, was mark, regulated right they it all it was all bought through the Canadian government so I think that it was not really a really a free market driven enterprise from my perspective I don't know if Dave probably has a different perspective on that but no. Totally, Matt. Well, I think one thing Matt and I always
2: say too, and I mention this, actually for the first time at an event, Cannavest event in, in Boston right before the pandemic hit in early 2020, that the problem really in the industry is a simple, it's been a simple problem. There's been too much arrogance and too little humility. And, you know, and that's what one of the main things we run our business on. We are a global leader in what we do, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have our ass handed to us tomorrow. And that's that's a high degree of humility that we run our business on, right? We're we're good now, but that doesn't mean you know that's I still play lacrosse. I mentioned you know that's why I still train because you know I've always been pretty good at it. But you don't stay good at stuff unless you put some work into it, and and be attentive, be tentative to how how good you are, and pay attention, right? And don't be arrogant. Sorry. Yeah, and
4: we've seen we've seen the same thing, and I would say. Even on the ancillary side of this market, right? People have jumped in, think it's a gold rush, right? I've got a POS system or I've got an ERP system or I've got God knows what. And I did it with Seven Eleven, or I did it with somewhere else. Good luck. This is a completely different animal. This beast is a much different beast than these people are used to. And I think the one thing my takeaway has been always that this industry has very little patience, meaning, you know, you better deliver on what you said right away or you're dead to them. I mean, it, I've never seen an industry change so quickly on on key software components not just with us i'm just talking in general i mean we've had customers on their third fourth fifth point of sale software who does that i mean so it's an interesting thing to look at this industry because i think look it is evolving and i think you're spot on that it's a gray market trying to go legal right so you've got these folks that have been doing it for long times trying to figure out how do i go from being a moonshiner to basically being jack daniels well there's there's a long a lot of steps in there to get to those points yeah it's interesting to kind of watch from uh the cheap seats which is where i sit
0: humility is important here and like dave's saying people switch immediately so you have to get it right the first time you have to get input from the actual operators which is what we've always tried to try to do we know what dave's fond of saying he's absolutely right we don't own dispensaries ourselves we don't own cultivation facilities or processing facilities ourselves, so we have to rely on the licensees, the industry, to tell us what works, what doesn't work, and then we try to build things that take away their pain points.
2: Well, and one thing I was just thinking, the top of my head while we're talking about this is, you know, one thing that's made America great is a number of things, but one is, you know, the, the business climate, you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand, but you know, in cannabis, you don't have Adam Smith invisible hand. You have like Adam Smith, big, big monstrous visible hand, right? I mean, yeah. it's 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 anti-American, really, with all the stuff that we have to to go through. And and frankly, uh, we mentioned this the other day. We worked with the uh, MED here in Colorado, the Marijuana Enforcement Division, going way back. And one of my old buddies used to head it up. We're doing stuff by the book, but a lot of times they just say, you know. Well, you know, wait for this to pass or whatever and and so there were laws, but they were not being applied correctly. so it's it really is kind of a mess.
1: What do you think about the compliance overall, David, that you've seen you know on this in this industry as opposed to your prior life in in biotech?
2: Oh my gosh that's a <laughs> that's a good quote. well, I think one thing that I and I'll kick it over to Matt. I think one thing that we see. As far as compliance and regulation, we see a lot of commonality between the Marijuana Enforcement Division, like I just talked about, and the DEA. And I think, you know, everybody's talking about, wow, this is—and it's really a political football, really, right? It's a science issue because we're talking about molecules. But one thing that we we like to mention is that if you look at the—I don't think there's—I think there's a good comparison between the D, the MED here in Colorado and the DEA. Because at the MED here in Colorado, you have a bunch of ex-attorneys, ex-military, ex-cops— those all tend to be pretty conservative perspectives, sure. and you you can't tell me that there's not the same kind of people in the DA. The DA wants to get rid of drugs; that's their goal. So, to ask you know these people that don't like drugs and are conservative by nature and don't like stuff like that to say, "Oh, okay, well it's okay; it's it's legal." And there's only one person that really runs the DA, right? And they report into the DOJ, I believe, right? Fine
3: line between overregulation and not enough regulation, and. You know sort of advocating responsibility which i think is sort of the fda and fda's sort of uh role as of now right they've advocated with hemp on cbd and so they didn't you know they sort of have said hey we're not even gonna you know or, or they go after companies that are you know making some sort of flames on it but it's not really they're not really regulating the market right and so you have all these products that were who knows what are in them right You've heard the nightmares of people, you know, buying a slew of products and testing them and finding that whatever they said was in them is not in them, and they just sort of advocating responsibility. So, I think that's you know another part of the problem. So, well, well, and one last thing to add to that is again,
2: we're at GEP, we're just getting lucky because you know, again, getting back to this whole thing about the sector is moving more towards life sciences, whether people want to admit it or not. The reason being is that, you know, like I have a thing of THCV on my counter, right? I haven't taken it yet, but, you know, we need to find out what these molecules do for what kind of people or what they can treat, whether it's insomnia or pain or whatever, for what kind of people with certain genetic makeups, right? That's Mm -hmm. where we need to go because that was one of the main problems with the, the CBD and the hemp sector is that, to Matt's point, all these people were making all these products. A lot of them weren't, didn't even have CBD in them, and all these people tried it and said, "Oh well, this is kind of cool," and it didn't work. And so they're like, "Oh well, this stuff doesn't work, right?" So then, yeah. then, they're, then they're done. They're not. They're not going to be a customer right. anymore. So that noise in the market is definitely proven to be difficult to overcome.
1: Right, and even in our arguably overregulated you know state markets. I mean, even just looking at like the standardization of just the lab testing that's required. you know, there's no universal standardization as to the processes that they use in these labs. Um, it just seems like every time you check the news there's a new lab controversy um, in a different state and products being recalled and then they later backtrack and you know, say that the products are safe again and you know, it just seems to be a bit of a hot mess. Um, well, it is a- well,
2: and Bree, I think this gets back to what you guys are doing. It. I mean, why outlaw is valuable is that this industry is only going to become valuable and successful if we are able to put in the the regulations and controls that allow it to survive and thrive. And because we're, people aren't going to be using these products unless they know, you know, that's what a brand is, right? Like Coke is a brand because you have consistent quality, and we've always said that. So, you guys are helping put, you know products on the market that have consistent quality. And that's the only way this industry is going to survive.
4: Yeah. And I think you're, you're spot on there. I mean, look, we're even like, I'll give you an example, our OG harvest, what we're trying to do is make sure they don't commingle strains. Why? Well, the obvious thing is one strain is much different than another. Like you said, the chemistries are so variable in these, these, these different strains, different plants, even different yields that, you know, it's going to be critical that these folks track these things, because look, Me taking a low low THC with a high and mixing the two, well, you know, I've just kind of screwed the whole batch. So I think you're right on. People have to have the ability to track this and understand what they're mixing together. And I think it is a challenge for the industry. So if I have a particular strain, we all know it. What happens is I have a strain that's selling very well in the state of Maryland where I live. Well, guess what? Every Tom, Dick, and Harry has the same damn strain. Is it the same? No. But they're going to call it that. They're going to call the same name, same brand, just to try and piggyback off that that market buzz. But to your point, David, you know the results of that product are different. So I think the industry's got a long way to go with that, and hopefully they can uh, standardize or at least get some sort of hey, golden goat's golden goat. You know, gorilla glue's gorilla glue. You know, to the best of their ability.
0: Well, a lot more research just needs to be done, and is being done, thankfully now as well. I mean, we knew very little about canaflavins just some time ago, and I know you guys, like us, come across a lot of new players in this industry and new companies. We're learning new things all the time about how canaflavin's can be 100 times more powerful than aspirin, Um, things like that. There's there's so many medical uses that they're still discovering. On that note, um, what are, if you're able to tell us, who are some of the companies that you are working with or have helped get funding?
2: Because the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia, essentially put in regulations that were favorable to them. There's still, a, there's a bunch of companies that have tried to pass a pivotal trial down there with CBD and if they can pass it then it, then you can put it in uh, OTC in a pharmacy in Australia without a prescription. So Aveco Biotech's trying to run a pivotal trial in insomnia with CBD. We have canify Aga, or AG, which is out of uh, southern Germany. They're one of the leaders in the medical side of cannabis. Uh, they're doing quite well. And, uh, and that's kind of what we mentioned what's happening with Germany is the adult use things, but kind of been kicked the cans have been kicked down the road. So the medical is really the bright spot right now in Germany. And then Good Cap Pharma is a company combining psilocybin and eugenol to treat PTSD, and they want to run a clinical phase one clinical trial. So we're working with them, and then we're certainly uh, working with a group called MC Global, uh, which is a hemp-based cannabinoid company. They're one of the global leaders. They essentially don't really produce it. They formulate it and source it, but uh, then ship uh, over 40 different cannabinoids to over 25 different countries, including the U.S. So again, getting back to this cannabis is THC plus, THC minus. We, and also, we're, we're really considering ourselves more plant-based medicines we hopefully will engage uh, a group later this week that's kind of a who's who in the psychedelic space to uh, help fund a REIT that uh, has been established for wellness and psychedelics. So we got a lot of different things going, but I think that's the main reason why Matt and I are doing well is we're diversified across. We're not not beholden to adult use here in the U.S., diversified across geographies and across parts of the
3: sector. You know, as far as getting stuff done it's been it's been seems like it's been brutal for the last two years but
4: brighter days are ahead right man
3: well i'm i'm I, you know i think going into this year i, I really think that uh, there's there's going to be some opportunities that that arise for for investors and for groups to look at stuff and you know reevaluate so uh, at least that was my new year's resolution going into the new year was it that that <laughs> i thought so
2: one thing I, I could put a plug in for is that uh, last year we, uh, so since we've been in it so long, we we've come up with a award to kind of uh, accentuate or emphasize our longevity. So it's uh, the Golden Legal Partners Longevity Cannabis Longevity Award, and we essentially called it call it the Cockroach Award. So <laughs> it's, it's it's essentially it's a play on word, right, with cockroach and uh, the roach and stuff. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna announce that again on April twentieth this year, four twenty. Um, so we have a number of people under consideration. Bob Hoban was the, the first charter, uh, recipient of the award. But yeah, I think, you know, and it's in it, it, the main point why I do that is cer- certainly, uh, if you still stayed in this industry, you, you deserve a pat on the back because it's darn hard to stay in. So I think, you know, I just want to as we're, as we said before, Matt and I are still
0: in it, but you know, that doesn't mean we're not going to hit some kind of a wall tomorrow. So. Yeah, as you know, Dave, we've, we've been in RFID for a long time, but we've been in cannabis only for going on five years now, and we're already almost considered old timers, even though it's only been five years, you know, for any of our listeners out there, what is the best way for them to contact you or to get more information on, because you're right, last year has been tough. I know there's a lot of people looking for capital.
2: Yeah, well, you can look Matt and I up on LinkedIn. Certainly, we have our website, GoldenEaglePartners.com. We also have Golden Eagles on Golden Eagle Partners on uh, LinkedIn. You can certainly reach out to us. Uh, we have our emails. You can connect us through uh, both LinkedIn and on our website. And we'd love to hear from anybody that's uh, listening, or or certainly if uh, we've said something that somebody thinks incorrect, we'd love to hear from them. I mean, we're we we do not have all the answers nobody has all the answers in cannabis but you know what we try to do you know what we always say Hans and, and Dave and Bree. you know when Matt and I get up on stage our main goal is to make sure that people don't walk walk out of the room saying that was a waste of time right we want to be try to be provocative and get to try to get to have people think of things that uh, they may not normally think of because that's how you're going to survive in this industry is having an open mind and a pretty high degree
0: of humility couldn't agree more Matt you have anything to add
3: we're always open to talking to groups and and if anybody, you know, wants to talk about their company or about they have money that they want to invest into the space and want some I don't know if it's uh high quality information but it's certainly information that we've gleaned over the years we we're, we're always happy to talk to those groups as well so
0: excellent and as I told you ahead of time, because I wanted you to think about it, we finish every episode with the same question. So, Brie, why don't you do the honors?
1: I'd be happy to, Han. So we always ask our guests, who is your favorite outlaw, be it real life or fictional? David, we'll start with you.
2: Oh, well, I thought I was going to kick that over to uh, to Matt and see if she <laughs> wants to.
3: <laughs> I, I think I'll go with uh, a real person that was old west and it was uh the apache kid oh, oh
0: the apache kid
2: do you want to tell, tell us a little bit about the apache kid yeah and
0: why why'd you choose the apache kid
3: uh well i think first of all i think he was when he was born i think he was born on the not necessarily on the apache reservation but near around it or some part of it but he uh he was actually i think uh a scout for for the u.s government for a while and then uh, the colonization of this country he uh was dismayed and ended up going off the reservation so to speak it was but, fighting the good fight yeah fighting the good fight the reason why i picked him is because he was actually never caught actually as a as an outlaw and they don't know where he they, some people think he died in mexico but some people think he died in the u.s at some point so
1: so he was really good at being an outlaw
3: after a while yeah well if you're, if you're uh if you're a, if you're a scout for the government i guess you're uh, you know you you learn those skills really well and they couldn't find him so smart outlaw <laughs> David, what about
2: you how about bonnie parker you guys know bonnie parker oh yeah bonnie and Clyde. so and Clyde. I, I picked bonnie because why i'm looking at a picture of my mom right now she was uh, an amazing lady just celebrated her birthday. She passed a number of years ago when she was 71, but she was a big part of my life. And I think, uh, she was a, she was one of the leading state senators here in Colorado. And I'd learned that's kind of what I based my life on as being a high degree of integrity. And she had a high degree of integrity. And also we were trying to do that also where we're a sponsor of CanMed and we've always been when we also did an event in Berlin last year, you guys, you know, one of the things we've always tried to do is get more women
0: on, uh, on panels. So Body Parker's my solution. Good choice. Good one.
1: Very good.
0: Well, thank you, Dave and Matt, for being on our show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. And if any of our listeners have any questions you'd like us to ask on our show about compliance, metric, autom- automation, or anything regarding the cannabis industry, please email them to us at info at outlawtechnology.net. If you know licensees here in the U.S., that need help with automation, whether they're dispensaries, cultivation, or processing facilities, go to our website and check out our referral program, send them over to us. You can download past episodes of our program by going to outlawtechnology.net, cannabisradio.com or the Cannabis Radio app for iTunes and Google Play, as well as subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Thanks for listening and be well.